0: I was ready to sing um, another chorus then. I wish there was. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. It comes as no surprise to you um, all that we are continuing in our series in Luke. Uh, We've had the, the passage just helpfully read by Chris just now. Well, just a... A few days ago, I watched um, an episode on iPlayer. It was about the Ku Klux Klan. It's quite hard to say when you need a drink. It was about the Ku Klux Klan. And there was a a particular moment, there was a guy being interviewed. And he said about the Holocaust, the Nazi concentration camps, that they were holiday camps. That in fact, actually none of the atrocities that we knew of actually happened. And in fact, actually, there were swimming pools. There was recreation. It was something good that Hitler was doing for the Jews. Absolutely incredible. He was genuine in what he was believing. He was saying it with some authority, as if we got it wrong. But it's incredible, isn't it, how what we believe or want to believe, what our hearts desire, determines how we relate to what we see, hear, and experience. But we don't have to go off so far to think about the uh, the Holocaust. What about an example closer to home? A wayward child. Now, as a parent, you dearly love your child. And even when they do something wrong, therefore, because you love your child and you don't want horrible things said about your child, your heart wants good for your child, you'll probably end up denying what they've done is bad. You'll say, well, it's just a matter of circumstances, wrong crowd, or or something like that. Your understanding of how you relate to your child changes how your heart is placed. And we've all been children ourselves, haven't we? We've all been told what we should and shouldn't do by our parents, and how mean our parents are. But that simple fact just highlights how our heart deceives how we read a situation. Isn't it? Because your parents love you and they set boundaries. They are not mean, they are loving. But because my heart says, I want to do what I want, my interpretation of that is that my parents are mean. And I'm sure everybody has said that in their time. See, what we want, what we desire, changes how we interpret things. And what we want comes from our hearts. That brings us to a bit of a worrying situation because the prophet Jeremiah said this. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Well, that gives us a problem then, doesn't it? What we see, hear, and relate to and experience in this life is determined on the large part of what our heart wants. And if that's desperately sick, and deceitful our hearts lie to us then how are we going to relate so what happens then when we see and we hear and we experience jesus Then therefore who is informing you about jesus are you listening to your heart because the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. See, the, today's passage exposes how our hearts, and it is our hearts, can lead us astray when it comes to considering Jesus. And so we have Jesus now. We know that he is going towards Jerusalem, that he has set his face, that he knows that he is going to be crucified at the cross. Opposition arises, well, increases I should say, And the time where Jesus is walking on the earth is becoming less. And there is a message that he wants to say. There's a message that we need to hear. And so we get to this point where we have this episode of Jesus casting out a mute demon. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not typical of my daily experience. I don't go around seeing demons cast out. It's not something we usually come across. I know some people have. And in fact, in many parts of the world, there's a lot more of a demon possession, actually, than we experience here. But it does happen. It does happen. And this wasn't unknown or unusual in the time of Jesus, either. There are people who are casting out demons. We read later on, it's that the sons of the crowds were casting out demons. It's nothing unusual. But what this incident does bring to us, because we can get caught up in demon possession, you know, what's happening, you know, are there real demons, you know, what's the mechanics of this, but we can get lost and caught up and not see that this incident actually brings into focus spiritual realities, which I think that we are largely blind to, because I know I am brought up in a materialistic society. And when I say materialistic, means actually there's nothing else besides what I can touch. But Ephesians 6.12 speaks about this, and it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen up. There's something more greater happening that our eyes cannot necessarily see. This incident brings about something that we can see, it brings that spiritual reality. But in this episode as well, what also comes into focus is three kingdoms. And I'll explain why. we got a kingdom of God. We read, haven't we, that if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come. We have the kingdom of Satan. We are told in Ephesians 6, aren't we, we're battling against the rulers and authorities, against the spiritual forces. There is a prince of this world, the demonic force, Satan himself. And then it's the kingdom of us. See, a kingdom is that expression of authority and control. And if I am to uh, go about life, I want to know that I have that authority. It's my own little kingdom. But what we see here is that my little kingdom is at the bottom of the pile. There is somebody greater than me, somebody more influential than me, and it's Satan. And above that, though, The third kingdom, we have a kingdom which is much more influential than him. We have the kingdom of God. And so I am delusional if I consider that my kingdom is only kingdom between me and God. There's a spiritual reality that we need to be aware of. Well, we have... Uh, this event of Satan, uh, say, uh, sorry, the demonic force being driven out by Jesus. And it draws out three responses from the crowd. Excuse me, I'm almost drawing it. Three responses from the crowd. We have those who accuse him of being in cohorts with Beelzebub. accuse Jesus of being with Satan. We have some... To marvel, it says the crowd marvels in, in, in the latter part of verse 14. And then in verse 16, we have others saying some looked for a sign to test him. We have three responses. What an incredible event. A, a demon being cast out of a mute man who could then speak. Wow, what powerful forces are going on. Somebody who can stop you speaking. And yet Jesus casts him out and the man can speak. And these are the three responses. Some marveled, some accused him of being cohorts of Satan, and some looked for him for a sign. Well, we're going to have a look at these three responses and then we're going to end a little bit of time, um, a little bit more on, um, on seeing about our response, I suppose. And so the first response, he casts out demons... By Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Remember our sick and desperate heart. Because the heart is so deceitful, it defies logic. It will see what is rational and come up with something irrational. It says here, verse 17 and 18, Jesus knew their thoughts and knew what was coming from within and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fail. Correct. No kingdom has survived if it's split internally. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Well, absolutely. How can it stand? I say this because you claim I drive out demons by Beelzebul. See, a sick heart can deny the facts. It can be illogical. And not only that, it says, now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. We always look fondly on our children. And it's their sons who are driving out demons. And they know and they claim but they're driving out demons in the name of God. And so what Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring forth these sons and place them as an exhibit against you because for one thing, you, uh, you claim that your sons um, deliver them out by the name of God and for some reason, some contradiction in your own hearts and minds, you say that I, I'm not But I am the power of, I am God. And it's by the finger of God that I drive these demons out. But you say that your sons do it. Because the first century Judaism, I uh, I met midweek with Chris and and I was just telling him about how what well, I was reading about how they got rid of demons, how they cast them out, they fumigated them out, they used incantations, they, they, pr- you know, they, they used all sorts of shenanigans to try and coerce this demon out. In fact, actually, they just tried to get to speak to the demon, which is quite interesting, because this one was mute. How do you speak to a mute demon? You see, the heart's illogical, and it can be contradictory. We can say yes to one thing, and for absolutely no reason, so you notice something else. What is it about our heart which denies Jesus? Well, then Jesus goes on to explain the implications of his logic, if it is correct. He says in verse 20, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus doesn't need smells. He doesn't need bells. He doesn't need prayers. He, doesn't need, he can drive them out by the finger of God himself. You see, in Jesus, we have God incarnate. He's directly, he has direct authority. The first century Jewish exorcists were, were reaching to people like Solomon, asking if he would drive the demons out. But this is Jesus and the kingdom of God has come. What does that mean? What does that mean then, therefore, if, if the crowd is supposed to interpret these events as the kingdom of God coming, what does that actually mean? Well, look at verse 21. It says this, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Yes? Absolutely. When a strong man it's guarding his eyes. His possessions are safe. Oh, but this is a glorious verse. Verse 22. But when someone stronger, when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor and in, the, in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. We have that picture again of the strong man, Satan. He has captured this world He has slaves which inhabit it. But Jesus is saying, "The the coming of the kingdom of God means this, that someone stronger than Satan is here. It means that his possessions aren't safe. That the glorious might of God has come in to rescue and save and to take what was Satan's. I don't know about you. But I thank God there is someone stronger than Satan. See, these three kingdoms are not equal. The kingdom of me, the kingdom of Satan, and the kingdom of God. Because the ruler of each are unequal. We have us, influenced and subject to the rule of Satan. We have Satan, influenced and subject to the rule of Jesus. know we might think more of ourselves but this authority that jesus has to drive out demons is his and his alone we cannot get past the stronghold of satan he's stronger than us he's a strong man and he's locked up his possessions in his house so if we think that we can get past satan by our own efforts and our own means if we think that we can love god without getting past the lies and deceits of Satan, the strong grip that he has on us, then we're fools. Back in in chapter 9, it says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure, cure diseases. Jesus will share this power and authority. But it's not ours. He gives it to us. We cannot claim anything of our own but purely the power and authority of god himself because let's see what happens only just a few verses later in verses uh 40 and 41 of chapter 9 someone said i begged your disciples to drive it out but they could not jesus said this you unbelieving and perverse generation you faithless generation Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Our faith brings us into relationship with Jesus. Jesus, therefore, shares his authority. When we do not have faith in Jesus, we're enslaved by the prince and powers of this world. What well, we see in verse 23... And 24 of our passages today. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds a house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. I find this passage very scary. A clean, swept house. Everything is in order. Oh, thank God I have been delivered. But hang on. It seems like this house is a little bit too empty. Too too clean because... The thing is, see what happens. At the whim of the, spirit, uh, of the de- uh, demonic forces, they go back. And the person has got no say in it whatsoever. He goes around. He's being driven out. But then he says, well, hang on. <laughs> Seems a quite nice place to go and stay. I will return to the house I left. They decide to. And nothing that we can do could stop that. But the condition is worse. So if we have that experience of Jesus, we think he is wonderful, but we keep that house just swept nice and tidy and do not respond to it. We open ourselves out to the one who rules this world. When I say rules this world, I mean of earth, the prince of this world, Satan himself. It's a, we can grasp the seriousness of being aware of that spiritual forces that are at work. We need that urgency to respond and that peace of mind, that having that stronger one to secure your own premises and to take up residence himself. While the second response is in verse 27. It says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called uh, called out blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you he replied blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it see we had people in the crowds marveling and this one is a little bit unnerving because it's closer to home than I prefer to to have because we have this woman what we think is saying the right things well, of course his mother will be blessed happy that his son is doing all these wonderful kind of things yet for those they can't see past the spectacle for them it hasn't become personal she was saying that well actually your mum's going to be really happy about that as if that had some if that was the end goal of it to make my mum proud but it's not Jesus is doing this so that we may follow him and obey him. That is what is important. But they fail to say, they marvel, they applaud, they praise him. And we might come to church, see Jesus and praise him. Yet, we don't see past the spectacle. Actually, what should be personal is out there and kept at arm's length. You see, our hearts are desperately sick. And we're blind, and we can be blind, to the necessity of making it personal. Jesus had to point this out. Blessed, happy is the one who's committed themselves to the one who is stronger. So it's appreciation. It's appreciation of Jesus, not assimilation. That actually you see and actually imbibe it in your own body. That actually, no, this is what I will do. So we've seen an illogical response. We've seen a response that is blind to the meaning and implications of what they have just witnessed. But I think this third one really takes the biscuit. As the crowds increased, verse 29, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. That word wicked is used in other places for diseased, corrupt. Jeremiah's words seem very true. But this response is just a response that is completely missed at what just has happened. So at least the other two responses saw something and recognized something, whether they misinterpreted it or or went against it illogically. They're asking for a sign. Were your eyes open? Weren't you seeing that? A man who was possessed by a mute demon who could not speak can now speak? Weren't you here? See, the sign of the kingdom of God which is what Jesus describes it, that the kingdom of God has come, if you, if you see that me casting out demons. The sign of the kingdom of God bypasses them completely. They're looking for a sign to test him. See, what does it take to recognize Jesus and for who he really is? What does it take for you to see Jesus for what he really is? Do we dismiss this episode and just think it's something that is out of my experience. It's about demonic forces, but I don't see any of that. Well, I'll move on and get on with my week. But none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus speaks of one sign one sign that really, really counts. One sign that will make a profound difference. One sign which makes this sign of casting out mute demons nothing really to consider in light of this other sign. Because one sign, one sign only is going to be made. You see, Jesus' time on earth was shortening and he needed to make sure that people were watching and had their eyes open for this sign. See, casting out the mute demon showed us the one who is stronger. The gospel, the good news of power, that the stronger one has come in. But the sign of Jonah, my word, listen, it, the sign of Jonah is about power. It's about power. But it's also a sign of love. It's a sign which shows us the heart of God. It's a sign which shows us the wisdom and majesty of God. It's a sign which shows ultimate victory over Satan, not just a demon but Satan himself. It's a sign of God's holiness and his wrath against sin. It's a sign which is all comprehensive. No other sign except the sign of Jonah. This is the one that truly matters. This is the one that matters to us. How we see, how we hear, and how we experience this one sign Is all that we need to pay attention to. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. This sign of Jonah is Jesus' death and resurrection. The one sign that we need to pay attention to is his death and resurrection. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and then was unceremoniously vomited out uh, after three days. But Jesus fulfills this. He He was crucified, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. The stronger one conquers. The wisdom of God is proven right. The love of God is shown Not just the gospel of power, but the gospel of love. The gospel of God's holiness and wisdom. How are we to respond to this sign? If we are aware of the deceitfulness of our hearts, how will you, how will I respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Will we respond illogically? Well, we say, while the evidence doesn't prove it, that um, Jesus' disappeared body was just stolen or nicked, but if you, if you take that through and study that, you will see that that is an illogical response. But perhaps your heart is deceiving you. Perhaps that you don't want to acknowledge that the power of God is working in his son. Or shall we be always looking for more and miss the implications of this sign that outranks all other signs? Are we saying, or do we live our lives in terms of, actually, well, if only God did this. If only God just did something else, I would believe. If, if, if only God actually worked in this way, my, you know, my walk with God would be so much better because I'd know that he loves me. God, I'm going to pick on you. Show me a sign. I need to know something about you, God, that it's it's got to be real for me. But until then, my walk is going to be dry and it's mine as well. But actually, he says, there's one sign, one sign that you need to see and that's the sign of Jonah. God died, was buried and is raised and reigns. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He did this because he loves you. He did this because Satan has a grip on you. You're going to recognize this. How do we see the the sign of Jonah? It's a beautiful sign. It's a sign that shouts, I love you. It's a sign that shouts, Satan is defeated. I have bound him up because I am the stronger one. There is a day coming when we will either regret that we, made, we, that we paid more attention to our deceitful hearts than acknowledging what was laid out before us. Or are we to rejoice because we received the truth and assimilated it. We took it on board. We made it personal. You see, there will be a day when Jesus returns Look at uh, verses 31 and 32 with me. You see, in these passages, we will be without excuse. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment. There is a day. There is a day of accountability of what we do now in light of this one sign that we will be held accountable. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the people of this generation, we will see the queen of the south rise up with us and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented They made it personal. They heard God's word and they said we're sorry and changed their ways. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. Let's take our last moments together just to look at the Queen of Sheba. I think it's very precious and I think it would be a great encouragement to us all. I don't know what page it's on but it's in Uh, 2 Chronicles, uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 9, and I'm going to read from verse 1. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm a bit sniffing. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. Okay, she wasn't ignorant. She wanted to know that this was real and genuine. She wasn't going to believe just on hearsay. She wanted to find out. Good girl. Arriving with a very great caravan with caram- uh, caramels, with camels, <laughs> with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. She had a lot. She was hugely influential. Possibly, probably from Ethiopia, coming up from the north of Africa. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. She wanted to be satisfied. She needed to know. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. Fully satisfied then when the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seatings of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. I think in the ESV it says, that it had the breath taken away from her. Absolutely in awe of Solomon. His wisdom. Okay. This is a one-dimensional aspect of the Lord that we're seeing. His wisdom. And her breath was taken away from her. She was overwhelmed. Her response was this. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and wisdom is true. She's been satisfied. But I did not believe what you said until I came and saw with my own, uh, my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told to me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule rule for the Lord your God. Because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever, he has made you a king over them to maintain justice and righteousness. (laughs) And she responds by giving the king lots of her own things. See, Jesus fulfills scripture. This is not about Solomon. Well, it was. But someone greater than Solomon is here. Indeed, the greatness that we hear of Jesus is not half of the greatness of our Lord Jesus. See how happy she just, she just makes that um, logical step to say, well, how happy are people who sit and stand under your wisdom. She is overwhelmed, she is blown away. She is breathtaking by the glory, the majesty and wisdom of Solomon. Someone greater than Solomon is here. And we know by the one sign. It's, inc- it's an incredible encouragement how we should then therefore look at our own lives. Actually our lives will reflect how our hearts are seeing the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. For the Queen of Sheba she saw the wisdom That's all she needed to see. And she was overwhelmed. And she gave away a lot of her wealth. She came and sought him. When we see and look and experience the cross of Jesus, how will we respond? Because God is looking for those who hear his word and obey it. Do not miss this sign. For those of you who haven't given their life to the Lord Jesus, this is a passage which actually should send alarm bells to you. Because there's urgency. There is danger. If you're standing outside the power and authority of God and you're subject to Satan. Because all you've got to to listen to is your deceitful heart. Your new heart. To hear new things. To see the glory of Jesus. Pray that he would show you it. If you want to speak to me or an elder or Chris or anybody you've come with, please do so. Do not let this opportunity pass. There is a greater kingdom. Someone is greater here. And there is a sign that you need to look into and worry about. And for us, for others who have seen the glory of Jesus, we've sung about, please reawaken that kind of glory that we see. Well, let's step forth then. And look once again at that sign. Because we should be, we should have the wind taken out of us. We should be amazed at the power and the glory of Jesus who brings in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. That you, that you went to the cross for the sake of ourselves. That by doing so, and in your resurrection, you showed us the defeat of Satan, his rule and authority. That through your power, God, you have bound him up. You have given opportunity to release captives, just as the strong man comes in and takes away the spoils. Lord, we pray for those who are captive. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come in and enlighten people, that they will... Give them new hearts, hearts which would challenge them and reveal our deceitfulness of our own. We pray, God, that we may see the glory of your kingdom, that we may see the glory of the king, that we may be astounded, and may that follow through, through the rest of the week and the months to come, that actually as we gaze upon and wonder and inquire into that one sign, that we should be a people who are being transformed by that. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.